I'm Ryan Perker of Save the Animals, Save the World. Welcome to our first ever podcast with conservationist Anne Brummer of the Save Me Trust. So thank you for joining me. I've been following you for quite some time. You know, you named after one of my favourite Queen songs. Well, <laughs> it's a great name, actually, and it came about by mistake, but it's um, a fantastic name for us. Says it all. Yeah, you do quite a lot, I see, you know, in terms of the animal hospital rewilding. Uh, you know, I follow your, your posts quite often. We're very busy here. It's absolutely non-stop. So you've got two workaholics with myself and Brian. It never stops, 24-7, always going. So and you work in the animal hospital yourself? Yeah, so we're on our... So Save Me HQ is based in Windlesham, and it's um, a lovely building um, that was built in the 60s. And we run both the organisations from here. So our main offices are here and the wildlife is on site too. Through the trust, there is lots of other land that we have um, around the country and locally. And we use that specifically for um, looking after wildlife or what is fashionably called now rewilding. Oh, that's great. Do you get, so you have got quite a lot of wildlife being rescued at the moment. Yeah, so we have at the moment, this time of the year, it's, we do have some baby hedgehogs in, but it's all the adults that are in road traffic accidents, birds of prey. And also we see a lot of animals that are just um, having a hard time this time of the year. Once the weather changes, it's harder for them to find food. People forget to feed them. In the summer, people are quite happy out in the garden changing bird feeders or putting food out. But this time of the year, it changes. People don't want to go out in the rain and the cold. And um, wildlife that's become dependent through the summer really suffers so we see um, a big change. I see. I mean, I worked with quite a few like hedgehogs in the winter. It's very, very surprising how cute they are. They make <laughs> really strange demon noises when you have to clean them out. It's, it's quite amusing. But uh, the one thing I always liked is now is the hedgehog highway. And yeah. you like to the feeding as well. You know, people can really make that difference by doing small things in terms of feeding birds in terms of hedgehog, hedgehog highway. I think that's, that shouldn't be understated. You know, there's, there's governments can change laws and um, we can lobby for them to change them as well. But the reality is that people have to follow them. So all the time around the globe and not just in the UK, you'll see people doing bad things to the environment that are illegal. So um, what we really need to do is remember how powerful we are as a group, a body of people. And if we all make those little changes, and certainly in relation to wildlife, if all the UK gardens linked up with a hedgehog highway, you'd have the biggest nature reserve in the country. So we do have a lot of power and it, it kind of starts at home. We all need to do that one thing and change our environment because pretty soon we're going to have a really bad environment if we don't do something. So it's not just about governments need to change laws, but we can all turn our heating down a bit. We can all look at um, environmental issues. We can all do things. And that's where the big change comes when the populations do it, not just the government. Yeah, I really agree with you. I think it's really the small things, like in everyday life, uh, you know, if it's internationally or, or at home, you know, you can make a difference. But, you know, if you go to get some petrol in your car and you fancy a chocolate, choose the one with the certified palm oil, you know, or if you put on a makeup, use the one with certified palm oil, cruelty free. And the same is, you know, like Hedgehog Highways here in the UK. Yeah, it's about choices, isn't it? We've got every day, there's choices in front of us, and some of us, some things we can't change, some things we can. But, like, you know, just slowly start changing things and pretty soon you'll have changed a lot. Like, it's just all about that gradual change all the time. Yeah, I think 
for, for me, one of the things I really think is important, you know, it is about those small things, you know, and there's organisations out there, you know, especially with social media now, sharing what we can do. But I think it also starts with, it needs to be more uh, an impact on people in terms of marketing, you know. We see so much in terms of reality and music, but there's nothing really on television or commercials uh, here in the UK. It's great to see like people helping the snow leopard or a more leopard out in Russia. But it'd be great to see something on the telly in terms of a hedgehog highway, this is how you can help. Or just showing people what animals we have here in the UK. Yeah, definitely. I think sometimes we um, look at the sexier animals that are out there and we love them because they're not our native ones. But actually, we've got a black and white stripy badger. We've got like a bright red fox. We've got spiky little mammals. We've got the most amazing wildlife here. So kind of think, you know, at home first. And do, there's quite a, um, a well-known saying, it was a priest, I think, that said it. It's better to light one candle than to stumble around in the darkness. And I think when you're looking for change, choose just one thing at a time. Change one thing that will support the environment. Don't be overwhelmed by the amount that's out there and trying to look at all of them or do all of them. Just look at one thing and change it. And then pretty soon more and more things build up. And I think we can do big things together and for our wildlife. Our wildlife's declining here. 50% of our wildlife is gone. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. In, a, in a, an age when we're supposed to be aware of everything and we understand sciences, that this can be happening. So we really need to, you know, do something about it and kick ass and get out there and change things. Yeah, I, I really agree with you. I think it's also important to make it selfish to people, you know, humans... Even when you're doing something for someone else or for a charity, you still get that selfish fulfillment. You know, you've done something nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if animals bit your hand, you still feel great about it. Yeah. Um, I think we need to make things selfish to people, you know. Like you said, 50% of our wildlife is gone, forests are gone, Scotland's completely scarred. And, you know, it's affecting farmers where the prices of food goes up, it's causing mortgages and insurances to go up with flooding. I mean, if we bring back more trees, which, you know, help bird life, help maybe pine martins, those sorts of animals, but it's also going to help, you know, people, their homes are not going to be washed away every June and July during the drenched rainfall. Like, I think we need to show people how it is going to affect them in the future, bring it home to them. I think like, we need to bring back common sense. There needs to be a campaign to bring back common sense. Like, when I was little, we had ditches in our road, and every year... You, everyone would clear the ditches out in the front of their houses. Sometimes you do it with a few neighbours, sometimes on your own, but every year you would do it because if you didn't, your gardens would get wet. So it was a way of controlling it. And ditches are, like, really overlooked in relation to flooding and original water paths. But it's like people have forgotten all that now. We expect everything done for us. Yeah. And, and I know on um, sites we're doing projects with persimmons at the moment and we're bringing back open ditches and looking at ways to control water there that actually works and it is sustainable. And I think it's looking back at old things that did work, but we didn't want to see the ugly ditches. We wanted to pipe them in and we wanted to do different things. We shouldn't be fighting nature. We really should be working with it and looking at ways to support nature, not be this constant battle with it. Yeah, for me, the amazing thing is, like, it's, a, it's hard for me to comprehend how people don't understand. Nature is free. I mean, you let the trees grow, it's absorbing carbon, you know, absorbing water from flooding. You don't have to spend thousands of pounds of, or millions going sandbanks and rescuing people. You know, the tree does it, it's for free, you know, it's not charging you, it's helping you. And, People don't see that. They want to go the, the harder way and worry about money when in the long term it's costing them more. We don't like anything that's inconvenient. We're all, we're all the same, I suppose, basically. We, we make up, we've spent so much time making our lives convenient, we've forgotten 
that some of the inconvenience is essential. So we just need to have a like sit back and relook. And if you're in your own space, have a look to see the things you can do in your own garden and just think about it. I, I don't. Most of the destruction I see um, and uh, loss of habitat is not a willful want to destroy something. It's like um, a little bit of ignorance and a, and a lack of thought. So that, and they are the, the biggest things. I mean, quite often we have developments. I mean, we're doing a new project, as I said, with persimmon homes, because developers do something because they believe that that is the way to do it. But we need to look at different ways to do things. We need to get rid of these ridiculous tick box systems that the government has for planning and actually find out what is actually there and if you can work with it. And as I mentioned persimmons just now, because we did a unique project with them where we have a site. So they've reduced the amount of houses They've given us a permanent wildlife reserve that will be there forever, so that would belong to the trust. So no houses will be built on that, which previously would have been built on. And we're looking after the wildlife before they start building. So hopefully it will sustain it through the build and we'll educate the land owners, the new people that buy the houses, as to what they can expect from our lovely wildlife out there and what damage you know it, it will cause to their garden. So you know, if you've got problems with slugs, don't grow hostas. Like, just think of what you're doing. You've got to live with the environment. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel it's, uh, you know, really important to show people how important the wildlife is. You know, you know, like I said, they love the big animals, you know, elephants, lions. You know, people love foxes as well because they're so beautiful and cute, you know, when they're not an inconvenience to them, when they're not brainwashed at their vermin. But they see things like spiders and slugs and snails as nasty animals and that it's really hard to convince people that how important they are you know so if we didn't have these little creepy crawlies you'd be full of diseases everywhere they're getting rid of all the they're part of our food chain you need yeah. the vital part of our food chain water and insects without those we're all gone and when we see all these species decline that really should be a litmus paper for us to panic because we're next like it's affecting us and it's affecting humans. Like we're part of this same ecosystem. I think we always feel we're separate from everything, that we're this like, you know, island, the, the humans, and um, we're not affected by anything else. Well, look at COVID, like sit back and think. We are deeply affected by everything that happens on this planet. And um, if we don't do something about it and understand that we are just one of many species, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I really, I really agree with you. I think... You know, for me, with the UK, it hasn't been uh, a country where it's been that affected by, you know, weather or earthquakes or famine. Everything's always been in, you know, Africa and Asia or, or even some parts of Europe. So people think, oh, it's not going to affect me. But we see it's really affecting us now. And I think the farmers are really feeling, I'm, I'm, like, I'm hearing that they're finding, like, the hay, you know, struggling because the harvest, the ground is so dry. It's a really hard thing for them. Stuff like not getting their grass in. If you're if you're dairy farmers and cattle farmers, that's where your food comes, your winter food. It's a big impact on them. So much stuff that goes on it affects them because that's where they live. That's their land, not only for financial props, but for feeding their animals. And, that you know, I'm vegan, so it's a strange thing for me to talk about with um, dairy farms and cattle farms. But these people have been doing things a certain way for many years, and it's their life and their industry, and nothing can change overnight. They're certainly having a hard time at the moment, or a lot of them are having a hard time. Yeah, and I think it affects, you know, like everyday people as well. You know, everybody is part of the ecosystem, part of the world. It doesn't matter what your race is, uh, sexuality, vegan, if you eat meat, you know, 
everybody's connected and we all have an effect you know me and you are talking now we're affecting nature we're sitting in a home what could be forest you know when you drive to work you're affecting nature and the moment you're born you're in a hospital which is you know affecting nature so i think everybody has that responsibility to try and you know i'm not saying go back to our caveman days where we become nomads and bring it down as little as possible but there needs to be a balance where we can coexist but for our own you know, that's why we save the animals, save the world, because the animals die out. We're going to die and... Yeah. Do you know, and it's so true. It doesn't matter what you do. Like, there's everything has some sort of impact. You just need to do something. And it doesn't matter what you, like where you come from, what your background is, what colour, like you say, you are, whether you're vegan, not vegan, whatever you are, just do something. And I think it's quite... I, I don't like the internet where people are shouting at each other and, um, you know, saying you have to do this and you have to do that. Just do something, you know, choose your thing and do that because that will make a difference. And um, it is incumbent on us all to do it because it, it won't work with just a law. It has to be us doing it first. Yeah, I really would like to get people more involved and aware especially, you know, like with Scottish wild cat, people don't realise we have a, a wild cat. You know, it used to be part of, you know, all the way down into England as well. Pine, pine martins are so beautiful. When I show a person a pine martin, I have no idea what it is. They go, oh, it's beautiful, it's cute, where's that? And so we, it lives in England and Wales and Scotland, and so it used to live here as well. And I think really to bring back that excitement to people, when you tell them about wildlife, it's, I have to go to Africa. You know, I'd love to go to Africa myself on safari, it's amazing, or Costa Rica uh, or India. But, you know, I went whale watching in Cornwall last year, and when I said to people, I'm going whale watching, they said, where are you going, California, Australia? I said, no, I'm, I'm going to Cornwall. There's whales, dolphins, turtles, sharks... And I think people need to be made aware what is actually on their own doorstep. I mean, we have incredible wildlife. We've got seahorses. We've got everything here. It's it's really everything to get excited about. Like you say, all these amazing animals. And they're all now pushed into isolated pockets, some of the rarer species. And to me, that's really sad. I grew up as a child in this area. I was born in Windlesham. This is where I work today. So this area, I know like the back of my hand. So we, we used to have dormice here, like loads of different slow worms, lizards. Everything was really common when I was a child. And we didn't have Xboxes or anything. So we were out looking for wildlife and just out playing and generally enjoying it. So now to see all these places gone, like bat roosts disappeared, some of the badger sets that I knew as a child have been destroyed because they've been built on. You know, animals don't just move on overnight. If you destroy that unique home that's kept them warm and fed through a period of time, they don't have anywhere else to go. Like we know from releasing animals, hard release doesn't work as well as soft release. So we know that animals need that time to adjust. And it's really shame to see it. And it's within all our gifts to change that, certainly within developers' gifts to change it. We just need to get, get these people to rethink how they do things and value wildlife. It doesn't have any um, financial value at the moment. So it's a very difficult thing to argue with on, um, on big developments. But hopefully, COVID's changed people a bit. I don't know how much that's changed in reality. It's certainly changed people's awareness. Whether that's changed their actions, time will tell. But we do need to get more people looking, looking at wildlife and understanding its needs. Do you think rewilding is like a big thing that can really help? It's a very, it's a very fashionable term. So I have um, reservations with some rewilding projects that I see. Because some of them seem to be to remove certain species to bring in other species, which I don't, I don't really understand that. So um, a habitat, one of our projects with developers, as it currently stands, in, when you get planning, you can produce this matrix which projects the animals that you'll have there, and it gives you more points, basically, for planning. 
So um, one of my, my favourite things I say, you, I can build the Hanging Gardens of Babylon here, but I'm not going to get anything other than the, the native species that we have here. Like we need to look at the animals we have. So even in an area that doesn't have lots of exotic species, rare, you know, wildlife, it still has species there. And the fungi and all the insects are the ones that support the next layer of wildlife. So you can't just change an area because soils are unique, like trees are unique, the air's unique, everything's unique, and some things live there. So you need to look at what's there and help those and encourage those. So start at a really basic level. So don't go ripping everything out and putting something else in because the reason it's not there is because it's not sustainable for it. So if you don't have hedgehogs in your garden, there's a reason because at some stage you would have done. So just shoving hedgehogs in there doesn't solve the problem. You need to create the habitat. You need to build it. And then you can, um, it's sustainable. It's a long-term thing. And that's really what we need to be looking at, is looking at the whole environment, working. We're doing a project in Surrey Heath called Amazing Grace, um, which we want to do now nationwide. In fact, we are expanding it out nationwide. But we're looking at a smaller area, a borough, and getting everyone involved, trying to link up gardens, getting people aware of the dangers for hedgehogs, because if you understand those, you'll understand them for most wildlife. And like you say, putting in hedgehog highways is fantastic, but a lot of hedgehog highways end up being blocked up because fences change, people forget to put them in. But, you know, just leaving your gate two, two three inches higher than it would be is enough for a hedgehog to get in. Like, doing things that are, like, permanently there like in forever is the things that we're looking at. Maybe think about not having fences, maybe look at hedgerows in there. I mean, again, it depends on the size of your gardens. But years ago, we didn't have fences hardly anywhere. Now they build these new houses with these fences in. Maybe look at um, different type of fencing. It's all, it's just looking at the whole picture really. And in a community, you can do that quite well. And areas that didn't have hedgehogs before now have hedgehogs because the hedgehogs that are in other areas have moved into there. Wildlife is only not somewhere because it's not sustainable for it to be. So we need to look at the environment and create it. So I love rewilding. I love that they're, they're focusing on wildlife, but I am wary when they remove species to support other species. I don't, I don't think that's a way to go. I understand you talk about like building for, uh, with a basis all the way up, like a foundation. Uh, take nature. Again, some rewilding projects are ignoring nature. Look at what you've actually got and encourage that, make that, you know, if you've got certain fungi then enable them to survive in bigger areas on that plot. Like look at the insects that are there, look at all the the whole the whole food chain from the bottom, like water courses, because that's like vital in any area of the water. Don't be stressed about the higher species, for want of a better word, the bigger species. Look at that basic. Because if you're taking that all out and starting again, you're back to the beginning. And that's what we see in development all the time. So these fantastic projects that go up in um, uh, like places like Singapore and places where they build whole new environments and ecosystems, but they destroy all the wildlife that was originally there. And all of those flora and faunas are unique to that area. So topsoil, once you've dug the topsoil off, it's dead. Earthworms can't survive in it for any length of time. You, you've got to be really careful what you're doing in that process. So they're the bits that worry me. You know, building a whole new, I love it when these um, developers build this, like trash an area to like ground zero, and then they build it up and they go, oh, we're putting in a bat box and we're putting in a hedgehog house. And they put one. So all the animals that were there originally are now all gone. So why does that work? Like they, there needs to be more thought process in it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit of logic. And, uh, you know, when you say that and you say about the big animals, the big one at the moment uh, with rewilding in the UK, you know, it's the question of whether it's been wolves back. I know the beaver's back. And I think uh, from March or something like that, the bison's coming back into Kent in a small reserve. Are you... Are you for that if it's done properly, bringing water? Well, I, I think, to be honest, I don't really classify it as rewilding. Bison's come into a small reserve in Kent is like a, a holding stock, isn't it, for bison? Yeah. We're not going to be letting them wander around our plains. So I don't, I don't really see that as rewilding. That's more of a maybe a commercial thing or um, animals living wild is what I want to see. And so wolves coming back, wolves were, were, as you know, beavers and wolves, everything's gone from here because we killed them. There's yeah. a, you know, either by we've changing their environment or directly actually taking them out. So if you go to places, the last place we had wolves, I think, was Scotland. But people are wary of wolves being around. And, and if they were very successful in coming back, I'm sure you would end up having people saying we should cull them because there's too many of them. They're coming into the towns and they're coming into the villages. So I think we need to be aware of what goes on. So things like we have coyotes in America. In lots of towns in America, they they tell you if you've got little children, don't let them in the garden after, you know, sort of five, six o'clock at night when the coyotes are out. And if you have small pets like dogs and things, make sure they're on leads after a certain time. So these are things that people grow up knowing that coyotes do certain things. So we have to build that all into it. It's all very well people getting caught up in the romantic idea of various wildlife appearing. If you go through the process of rewilding some land properly, slowly but surely, most of that wildlife will start to come back and it'll be sustainable. And then you could look at introducing animals. But if you brought wolves back into an area, what are they going to live off? How are they going to feed? So if, they, if you're not feeding them and there's not enough food to supply, they'll go in and take sheep off farmers. So we'll have conflict there. So I want to see the programs that people bring in thought right the way through to the end. And, you know, it's great we've got beavers back. Beavers back on the otter, ironically, I think was really a great phrase when they first came out. And I love that they're there. But we need to think through the process of it all. And, you know, beavers are going to take down trees. Are they taking down trees that somebody else doesn't want taken down? I want to see all the conflict thought through so that we're not just bringing things back so that we feel better. Yeah, I really agree. As a lot of people get maybe too excited, and, you know, especially, you know, with wolves and, you know, bears, it's a big commercial. Because it would be great, you know, uh, you know, we lost quite a lot of animals and, you know, we don't have big animals that much to see anymore and wolves are exotic for people and it'd be great for photographers and filmmakers. And, you know, I know... Uh, quite a few uh, young photographers, they travel out to Finland and uh, Sweden to take photos of brown bears and wolves. So obviously it'd be great you know, to bring it back here and very commercialised for children to get excited into wildlife. And, uh, but I still think it's important for children to get excited. Now for me, it's one of the biggest things is children. Then more needs to be done. I remember when I was younger, I've been into wildlife since before I can remember. I was a child could tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile and I was out looking for foxes, things like that. But when I went through my education, through you know, uh, like secondary school, when we went to the careers office and I said, I said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a conservationist. She said, what's that? And I laughed. And when I explained, she said, oh, can you just be like a lawyer or, or, or be a footballer? I mean, I don't know how many people put a footballer as a higher career. <laughs> and, and I think of how many children... Okay, not everybody wanted to be a conservationist or a vet, but how many who did then got pushed out of that because it's so hard to get into and no one knows. I know with the internet now, it's a little bit easier and you can grab information, but 
if it wasn't for my mother, uh, pre pre internet finding a college for myself, what does animal management as a course, you know, I think there needs to be a lot more now in classrooms. I think like in Italy, they do conservation in some uh, in the curriculum for some schools. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us to go into the schools, uh, you know, bring back things like, you know, we have Cub Scouts, but make things even bigger now after school clubs with so many problems, especially like in London area and in you know, Essex, where there's not much wildlife, it's very compact towns. To, uh, you know, you can take children off the street who might be in gangs, get them involved with wildlife and rewilding, making sure the soil and going out, taking surveys. You know, there's a lot of animals even in the towns. Yeah, yeah, there's wildlife everywhere for children to access. It's just knowing where it is. And so much depends on your teachers and the people within a school. So different schools that we work with, there's always a teacher that's really passionate that drives it. There's always one person in that school. And I, I notice when we're working with a school and then that person leaves, you really struggle to get anybody else with the same sort of passion. And children are very good at soaking up passion. They don't really soak up lessons in quite the same way. And I think all of us will have had a, a teacher that's left a lasting impression on us in whatever subject and it'll be the passion that's come through so you really need some passionate people in there and you're so right it should 100 percent be part of the curriculum just like dealing with your finance should be relationships like all there should be other things now that come into schools your your basic reading writing and arithmetic are not really part of what takes us through life like they're essential learning tools that people have um judged people on but actually that it's changed so much now. I think there needs to be a lot more in there. We did speak to, um, uh, when the Labour government were in, we spoke to their education secretary then about bringing in wildlife into schools and um, projects as part of the curriculum. And there are ways, I know we, we have, although it's just being updated now, but we have um, lots of uh, papers and things that are written for different ages and to bring wildlife into topics, really every topic so that it can be brought in there. But again, you're relying on a, a teacher to want to be involved in that. It does have to be, it, it's usually quite personal within schools. We do lots of Zoom calls. Um, I know this is a recording, but just like this, I'm speaking to you over the internet. But we do lots of Zoom talks and things in schools. And up until um, a couple of weeks ago, we had people physically going in. But because of the current change, we've just stopped that. Yeah, I, I really you know, I like that. Making it physical, getting people involved, you know, for me is extremely important. But I also think there's a, there is a line that, uh, you know, I see there needs to be a differentiation between people helping wildlife and going a little bit too far. I mean, especially with, you know, the exotic pet trades, you know, people, not even just that, just pets in general. So I get a lot of people come to me and they moan, oh, I got my child a rabbit or a snake or a cat and I'm the one who cleans it. And I think, well, your child's five years old, you know, of course, it's going to get bored. You know, give it a pencil case, let them get, you know, give them that responsibility. No, you know, until you're 18 years old, you're not responsible for yourself. Okay. But how can you be responsible over another... I think that's, that's thing that's just happened over time. I think parents just assume they should be... Um, and it, normally the parent has to like the animal anyway, or the child's not going to get it in the first place. But it's just something people have grown up with, with them being commodities and not really understanding the responsibility. So as a child, I had lots of pets. Some of them were, like, captured from the wild. I would go out and... if I, bring, I know I had mice in this um, broken-down 
uh, car that was in a garden in my garden, and my grandparents lived next door to us, and there was a field that was owned by my grandparents that separated us, and there was a car that was there that m my uncle was in a car accident. They brought it back, and it was full of mice, and there were hedgehogs in there, and I loved it. I spent my whole time in there, and I'd capture the animals and have them in for a while. I always had a snake in my house somewhere. Quite often escape. My mum would have a hissy fit, literally, because she'd found this um, either an adder or a grass snake um, appear somewhere or lizards. So I was always one for um, having animals with me. But I did, to the best of my knowledge, I tried to look after them. I think as a child, I loved them a little bit too much. And it's the um, handling wasn't, certainly wasn't appropriate and not anything I would recommend. I did learn that birds pretty much feed anything that's in their nest, which is why cuckoos, I guess, would have survived. Um, and uh, certain birds of prey will look after um, any species of bird of prey that you put in their um, nest as well, where I've clambered up a tree and put the wrong animal back. But it's kind of all part of a big learning curve. But children don't have any access to, have less access to things. And adults, I think we've got a whole generation who are not aware of wildlife. It's like something out there. And I see in schools, I've been going to schools for nearly 30 years, but over the last 10, 15 years, you've got parents saying, my child is allergic to fox cubs or allergic to badger cubs or allergic to hedgehogs or allergic. How would they know that? I mean, first of all, I don't know. It, it's certainly possible to be allergic to an animal, but it's this fear of them that's stopping their children being involved in something. So it is. Um, it, there's a whole massive change. I think the generation of um, computer games has caused us a lot of problems and the internet. So now we need to kind of address that balance and get children back involved. Yeah, I really agree. And bring out, take away the stigma of the animals being bad. You know, you know, foxes, they are so beautiful. And I mean, all the foxes I worked with, especially cubs when they're being rescued, it's just like playing with puppies, you know. There's no, there's no difference for me playing with a puppy to uh, a fox cub. And even uh, the baby badgers I worked with are so cute and follow me around. But people see them as hideous nasty you know they love a fox but as soon as it goes into their garden and does a little like a dig like a dig that's it they, they want to get a gun or they want to get like a, a sound thing what a uh, higher pitch what burst your eardrums if you can hear a certain level and i really think they need to know that you know these animals survive they're called vermin and that's like, no, they're surviving they're adapting to what we've taken yeah. away and the re-education is so important yeah the, the project we're doing um with uh, persimmons is to work with the people that buy the houses afterwards. So um, badgers are going to dig at certain times a year for various reasons. So we need, they need to be aware of that and accept that as part of life and maybe plant accordingly. Foxes at certain times of the year will mark their territory, so you get a lot more mess in your garden. But don't try and move, don't try and clear the mess up because it will come back. Maybe move it over and eventually get it to the periphery. They're just marking territory or somewhere where they feed. So people will feed foxes in their garden and they'll get an increase in mess, certainly when there's cubs around because the foxes are protecting that as their food. They use um, use going to the loo as part of the sign system for other foxes. I think it is understanding what's there. Foxes are like, naturally, would be, they're amazing ratters, so they really work on the rat population for us. And they're the bin men, really, of the wild and really essential part of our environment. In fact, all the wildlife we have has incredible roles that are far better than any of the things that we contribute to society. I really feel like we need to embrace all of that. But I, I think it is education. It's like watching things and understanding. There's a, I think it's a northern saying, if you don't like something, you need to get to know it better. Like As a child, I used to have these bats that hibernated in a certain tree near us. And I could go in, stick my hand in and get a fistful of bats to come out and um, watch them 
And the, these bats would go back there every year. They stayed in other places through the summer. You'd see the babies out. You'd catch them in other trees where they would just stay in overnight. We had a maternity roost where the bats would go off and have their babies. And you had this whole like colony. Bats can live for like 20, 40 years, some of them. So you've got this incredible um, knowledge that these animals are building up to survive somewhere. So if you move that one tree, that could be the end of them. That could be the only tree that they found that's hibernated over winter. Plenty of bats and wildlife hibernate in the wrong place and don't survive. So it's quite essential that we look at the wildlife habitat before we change things drastically, because that's where they're living. And your removal of that one tree takes out the whole colony in that area. It's quite precarious for them. And that's what we've been doing as far as I can see up to date. We've just been destroying wildlife and not looking after it. Yeah, I, I really uh, agree with you there. Uh, one of the questions I do really want to ask is, you know, we're making a documentary at the moment. It's about exotic pets. We're kind of restricted to the UK because of COVID. It's, it's not Tiger King at all. It's more how exotic pets are affecting conservation here in the UK and you know, abroad, uh, you know, and we're not just focusing on tigers and lions, you know, they may be the poster boy of the episode, but it's also I'm going to be on macaws, you know, pygmy hedgehogs, taking those animals out of the wild, you know, the effects it has there. But for me, one of the big things is alien species, where even in the UK, we've quite a few problems, but, you know, even Florida, they've got problems with Burmese pythons being let out and uh, spectacle came. But, you know, we've got quite a few in the London area. I don't know if you've seen the, the ribbon flying around. Yeah. Do you get quite a few problems where you are from? We do see, so we we have here two captive um, macaws and two captive sulcatas. We did look at sending them back to the wild, but that's not possible because the diseases they carry would probably take out any wild population. And certainly um, any diseases that the wild population have will probably take out these ones. So we're kind of, they're here for good. Wild animals should be in their own environment. I don't think there is ever an argument for them to be in captivity. There is nothing that we can do to um, help the conservation efforts of animals in captivity. We are losing habitat at a massive rate with wildlife all around the world disappearing. And it's to do with the habitat. So um, having organisations breeding something, that's not the issue, that habitat needs to be able to sustain them. We've got massive protection, I know, around gorillas, but they're still, we're still seeing a decline. We need to preserve that habitat and let them live wild. So I don't, I don't agree with any wild animals in captivity. They should be free. But I understand that the situation we're in at the moment doesn't make that possible because people already have them. But... A bird should never be in a cage. A macaw, the, the conditions that I see people's macaws in stuck in a, a cage for an animal that should be flying at two or three miles a day to feeding grounds, I think is abysmal. Animals should be able to exhibit normal behavior all the time and they can't do that in captivity. So I, I'm really opposed to captive wildlife. Yeah, from, I find it, it's, a, it's a lot of arguments, you know, with zoos. A lot of zoos now change their name from being a zoo to a wildlife park or, you know, that, that sort of thing, they change their name so they don't like to be called a zoo no more. Uh, it's still, still a zoo. Well, so zoos started in, like, so London Zoo used to bring animals in for the summer and they expected them to die because they didn't have to feed them or look after them. And then eventually they would buy another lot the following year. It was how zoos started in Victorian times. And I kind of get that. And certainly my passion for wildlife comes a lot from seeing zoos. But we're beyond that now. We're beyond, like, a peep show and all of the things that go on. It's very hard to... Um, sort out conservation away from where the species are. We know that disease travels and we know how bad that is. So you need to be looking at populations and looking at them in situ 
like look after them in the countries that they're in and work out how to look after them now there and for their um, populations to thrive taking an animal from this country to release it somewhere is fraught with so many dangers of disease and you cannot possibly teach them the things that they would be taught in the world and even about the environment they're going to so i think it's really important that we look at conservation in countries and um, work specifically in those countries with those species um, I don't see that there is a, an argument for breeding them. Very few. I haven't followed many projects that actually take wild animals back into the wild. Yeah, I, I think I've only seen a, a bare minimal. I, I think it was the uh, the wild horses I saw was re-released and uh, some oryx in Arabia. But then I think people need, you know, there's a lot at the moment, especially on television, this animal's endangered, this animal's endangered, donate, donate. But... I really think there needs to be a positive in terms of like the marketing of it. I mean, tigers, for the first time in a hundred years, I think this year or last year, the numbers have risen and they got so big in India that they're now outpouring outside of the national parks and going into their towns and they're trying to create these tiger corridors so they can go from different parks and and that's amazing that India, you know, I think they're bringing back cheetahs. I think. I think it was meant to be this month. Cheetahs were meant to be coming back, you know, and then they got the lions and they want to bring them to like another area. And I won't go in, like, into too much whether those areas are sustainable or not, but surely that should be something to get people excited to know that it actually works if you do work in the wild in terms of animals kept in captivity. Yeah, and if the wildlife's there, we should be looking after the wildlife that is there. Like, bringing them in if they're not already there means the habitat's probably no good for them anyway. And it's looking at the ongoing things. When you're talking about tigers, you're talking about animals that when they interact with humans will take humans out. And certainly I know in India, pe people are regularly attacked by tigers. So, but mainly because their habitat has been closed down, that they don't have as much space and they're ending up in human areas. So that there's problems there. So we, they need to look at the whole picture with wildlife and cherish it. You know, breeding them is one thing. It's very easy for us to keep, or not easy, but it's relatively easy to keep a wild orphan here alive through to adulthood. But what have you taught it? Like, what have you actually, what chances are you really giving it to survive in the wild? So you need to look at the complex issues that it has during the rehabilitation process. So I'm very wary of breeding programs, you know, and successful breeding programs. No, I agree. I think it's not, not, a lot more needs to be educated as well in terms of the breeding programs. You know, for a documentary, we went to a, a cat sanctuary where they had snow leopards, more leopards. And, you know, a lot of these cats were taken in from the exotic pet trades and rescued. But there was no more leopard there, or two more leopards, and they were there because they were surplus stock from a zoo. And I couldn't understand... We, you know, when you get WWF, you know, on television saying there's only 30 to 90 of these cats left in the wild, donate three pounds, and you get a nice picture of a cat from 1995. And then you go to the zoos, and all the zoos are telling you how great they're doing from breeding the mule leopards. I can't understand how this most endangered big cat is in a, a cat sanctuary for a stop. Pet trade can't put back into the wild, and um, the zoos are probably part of the pet trade. So you have a, a, an issue there. So breeding an animal in a zoo is not the same as in the wild. So that's what I'm saying, the conservation efforts need to be in the wild. So we have problems with, um, like you say, snow leopards are highly endangered um, and some ways to help them there. Why, why have they not got food there? Why are they not surviving in their natural habitat? So it, that's what I'd like to see people looking at more and that's where the conservation efforts should be placed. Breeding an animal in captivity isn't the same and they can't go back into the wild because of the diseases. So the pet trade, wildlife stays in the pet trade. 
agree. It's you know quite an eye opener. Something I can hopefully bring out in the uh, well, the documentary. I hope so. Get just getting people to think really and think before they buy that lizard or that whatever it is they're going to buy from the pet shop that's exotic. Really think about it and look at why you're buying it. Is it because you've always wanted one as a child? It's not a reason to own something, is it? No, I really uh, agree with you. You know, when I was a child. You know, I just saw everything on television, the zoos. And I was always asking, you know, every child's always asking for a toy or something. And I was saying, I saw a tiger on telly. Yeah. I, wanted, and I saw an iguana and I always asking for animals. And <laughs> my mother said, no, you won't look after it. So, it's, you know, I didn't end up with any exotic pets, which I'm, you know, as a child, I was quite upset about. But now, you know, I'm very grateful that I didn't. And I really think we need a lot more education with parents yeah. as well. I think we'd all I, I, we'd all have a cuddly tiger and um, loads of exotic species that you can think of. It'd be really cool, wouldn't it? But yeah. the reality is, it's not right for them. So I think we just need to be a little less selfish and look at the look at what the animal needs. Thank you. I really appreciate the time you. No, it's great to talk to you and great like great that you carry on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for talking to me, and I hope I can work with you again in the future. Yeah, definitely. We're in.